News Talk On Demand. Interruption-free audio, where you want it, when you want it. I'm John Gormley. Welcome to this hour of the radio program, and thanks for checking in wherever we find you on this day. Hey, one hour from now, a class action lawsuit based in Vancouver is going ahead against the big credit card companies. If you are in business, you might want to know more about some of the fee shenanigans and how this class action suit takes an aim at big credit card companies. Now, this hour, we're going to spend in studio with a very interesting guy. He wrote uh, the book in 2010, What's Wrong With Our Schools and How Can We Fix Them? His name is Michael Swagstra. He's a high school teacher near Steinbach, Manitoba, who lectures extensively, in addition to writing, on educational issues and often the fads in education. Now, he's been with me on the radio many, many times in the past, but usually... I kind of get you between classes. I, I, I sort of say, well, can I get you on at 11.05 for 10 minutes? Uh, Michael is in studio because he's uh, participating in a workshop at the National Congress of Rural Education, which is on in Saskatchewan, and we have him here today. Great to uh, finally put a face to your voice. Well, I'm very happy to be here, John. It's great to be able to, uh, to do this in person as opposed to on the phone between, uh, between my classes. Now, the, the workshop you're doing is called Cutting Through the Edubabble, How to Bring Common Sense Back to Student Assessment. What is Edubabble? Well, Edubabble are the, is those, uh, are those phrases that are used to uh, describe concepts that, uh, that really don't make a lot of sense, but you have fancy, fancy words that are used to describe it. And so, for example, you hear phrases like authentic assessment, learning to learn, uh, 21st century education. Uh, these are phrases that are used regularly in education circles and, uh, frankly, can make your head hurt when you, when you hear too much of this stuff. Uh, but it's used to, uh, to describe some of the latest trends in education. Now, some of these trends include... Well, some of these trends include a number of things. I mean, we certainly see a shift away, unfortunately, I think, from academic content towards a more of a process-based uh, approach to learning. And so we have less emphasis on what students actually need to know in terms of information. And so we see this trend in regards to uh, so-called 21st century education, this idea that, uh, uh, that the teacher doesn't need to be an expert in the classroom because the students can go to Google and they can look it up and the information is available on the Internet. And so the teacher is supposed to be more of a facilitator of learning, a guide on the side rather than a sage on the stage, another one of those uh, edubabble phrases. And uh, <laughs> uh, it's, a, uh, it's a pretty common trend, uh, moving away from this idea that, uh, that the teacher is an expert and has actual knowledge to present to students. Michael Zweigster is here. Now, can you help me out with this one? I, I have real trouble with standardized testing because every time I've ever spoken with individual teachers, friends of mine went out for a beer with some teachers uh, about six, seven months ago, just when the issue was heating up here, Every single one of them said, like the idea. I want to be able to know where my kids fit. Now, I hope it doesn't, and I don't want it to intrude into my classroom. You know, I'm busy enough with curriculum development, but, you know, I want my kids to be measured. Then I talk to teachers' unions. Then I hear the public pushback. Standardized testing is a dirty word in education. How does that square? Well, it, uh, it doesn't really, but, but there is certainly a divide between where many regular teachers are at and uh, where many unions are at. And uh, the reality is that standardized testing is, uh, is just simply where you have uh, an objective measurement tool, something to measure specific knowledge and skills that we want to see if students have learned. And usually you administer such a test at the end of the year. Uh, everyone writes it at the same time, and then it's marked centrally. And then that gives us one benchmark that we can use to see how our students doing. Uh, 
Uh, it's a straightforward concept. It's simple. Uh, the public supports it. Many teachers support it. Uh, unfortunately, it is vigorously opposed by uh, virtually every teacher's union. But, but why do they oppose it? Well, they, uh, there's a number of reasons. I mean, they make, uh, frankly, a number of very standardized arguments. They say that it uh, intrudes on uh, teacher professional judgment, which uh, I, I don't think is a very strong argument, but they make that argument. Uh, I think that they, they fear that it could be used as a, an accountability tool. They're worried that uh, teachers might be evaluated based on scores and standardized tests. Uh, they always bring up the boogeyman of the United States and how they do standardized testing. And, but the reality is, is that no one in Canada is proposing to do standardized testing based on the American model. They do it very differently down there, high stakes. Uh, no Canadian province is doing that or is proposed, proposing to do that. But of course, they're afraid of anything that resembles an American model. Michael Zwagstra is here. He is involved in the National Congress on Rural Education. Uh, you remember Michael from What's Wrong with Our Schools and How We Can Fix Them. I want to join the conversation. How are you seeing schools fulfilling that mandate of educating children? Do you think we are in a time when, between social progress, uh, no more percentages on report cards, no zero policies? These are all issues Michael and I are going to chat about. If you want to join the conversation, it's one 332 8255 See, on the standardized testing, I, mean, I don't think there's a parent alive who doesn't say, I'd like to know, and okay, help me out, I'm probably wrong here, that, you know, by grade four, how does my daughter do on long division? You know, how does my son do on, you know, understanding these or those principles like every other grade four in the province? What's well, wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. And uh, we can think of it this way. It's a combination of, uh, of having a, a balance. Basically, it's a balanced approach where you have the teacher-created assessment, where the teachers create their own tests and assignments. You need that. You need because sure. the teacher has professional judgment. But you also need the standardized test. So that way you have some commonality from school to school and from, uh, from different areas of the province. And so you put that information together, the standardized test, the objective measurement tool, uh, the teacher assessment, you combine that, and then you can get a much better picture in terms of where students are at. Think of it as like going to see an optometrist. And an optometrist, if he were to say to you, you know, I don't believe in standardized eye charts. I'm just going to use my professional judgment, and we'll just feel this out and see how it goes. We wouldn't have too much confidence in, in, his, uh, in his judgment. What you want to see is you want to see him use standardized measurement tools, where he uses a standard eye chart, standardized procedures, in conjunction with his or her professional judgment. That's how it works in virtually every profession, and that's how it should work in education as well. So in the case of standardized testing, I don't know where you are in Manitoba, but in Saskatchewan, uh, the government has, quote, slowed on the issue. Uh, I'm hearing from informed insiders that it's done. I mean, the province you know, has dedicated money. They're not going to do standardized testing. They want some kind of evaluative tool but they don't want to call it standardized testing. Well, what they need to be uh, careful about is that, uh, I'll just mention what's happened in Manitoba, is that the government there has abolished almost all standardized testing, except uh, a few at the, at the grade 12 level. Uh, what they've done is, and I think this is unfortunate, they've replaced it with uh, these process checklists that teachers are to fill out at the grades 3 and 7 levels uh, in different skill areas. But it's not a standardized measurement tool. Teachers are supposed to create their own assessments and then check off a, on a list where the kids are at. That's not standardized standardized assessment. And the irony is that takes way more of a teacher's time. It intrudes a lot more in class time when you have to do that sort of thing at the beginning of the year than just having a simple uh, standardized test at the end of the year. Michael Zweigster is here. His book in 2010, What's Wrong with Our Schools and How Can We Fix Them? So I, I'm, I'm fascinated on the report card. You know, we heard years ago that, well, we wouldn't want percentages. Uh, 
you know, we move to grades. So kids get, you know, A plus, A, A minus, whatever your, your grading is. Even that's now going away. So is this a trend we're seeing increasingly across Canada? It is an increasingly common trend, and uh, basically what is happening in many jurisdictions is they're replacing uh, percentage or letter grades uh, with these uh, performance levels, usually one, two, three, and four, and they have these fancy names to describe it. Sometimes it'll be categories like evident or emerging or beginning. So for example, some school divisions will have zero to 49. What used to be that is now a one or beginning. And then a, a two might be 50 to 75, and that would be uh, emerging. And, and so parents get these report cards and they look at them and it doesn't make sense because it uses terminology they don't understand. It has less precision because in many cases now you have only four levels and uh, it just simply conveys less information than what they had before. And that's unfortunate. So what's the end game there? I mean, why is it being done? Well, there's a, there's a number of uh, reasons behind it. I mean, there's a, a number of, uh, I call them assessment gurus, people who, uh, who, who speak across the country and are brought into a professional development in services uh, it's this shift towards what's called outcomes-based uh, uh, evaluation. And uh, on at, at the superficial level, there's nothing really wrong with this idea that we want to tie assessment to specific outcomes. Uh, but what happens is that that's taken to an extreme, where now, instead of having one percentage mark for the course where you add a number of marks together and get an actual grade, now the teachers are expected in many cases to have this checklist of a bunch of different outcomes and then have each one of them rated from one to four. And so now, instead of getting a simple percentage mark or or even a letter grade, parents will often get a report card that have a long list of categories and they find out that their kid is evident or emerging or whatever f- other phrase uh, and then they in a, in a bunch of different uh, uh, categories that really don't make much sense. But, but that can't be easy on the teacher. It's not. It takes uh, it takes a lot more time for the teacher to do it that way. It increases the teacher's workload. And again, this is the irony, is that many of these fads actually uh, make it harder for teachers. And this is why many teachers, certainly at the grassroots level, uh, have a lot of uh, difficulty with these uh, with these new initiatives. Michael Zwagstra is here. Want to agree with him, disagree with him, join the conversation. We're talking about, and uh, the theme of the workshop he's doing at the National Congress on Rural Education, which is underway in Saskatoon, is called... Cutting through the edubabble, how to bring common sense back to assessment. So from report cards, standardized testing, even the future of textbooks. We're going to talk more with Michael Zwagstra. It's 1-877-332-8255. Want to join us? This is News Talk Radio. I'm John Gormley. Michael Zwagstra is here. He is the Manitoba High School teacher who is also a research fellow at the Frontier Center for Public Policy. Um, often here we'll check in with uh, fcpp.org. That's the uh, Frontier Center of Public Policy's uh, website. And a lot of Michael's writing on educational issues is available there. Also author of the best-selling What's Wrong With Our Schools and How We Can Fix Them in 2010. Now, you and I were just talking off the air, and I've had a lot of teacher friends over the years talk about that sort of feeling of ennui that sets in as you're at yet another in-service and uh, you know, an effusive superintendent or director stands up and starts going on about the newest assessment models. And teachers think, oh boy, here we go again. Absolutely. And uh, the reality is, is that many of these new assessment models, they look really good the farther you are away from a regular classroom. And so from way up on top, the theory is nice and simple, the lines are clear, and you're just so excited at the opportunity to present it to teachers, and then they're stuck with having to implement it. And often, it doesn't work very well. But, but even like, we were talking about the percentage, you know, Ken O'Connor, who's one of the, you know, the reigning gurus in this area, you know, percentages just aren't the way to rate kids. 
Well, he's uh, he and many others are, are against percentages, and uh, I support percents. I think it makes sense to uh, uh, to have a grade uh, that students and parents can easily understand. And uh, the idea of a percent is very straightforward. You have zero to 100, uh, you mark different assignments, and then you convert it into a percentage, and then you add it up and divide, and you have it weighted accordingly, and you have a quick snapshot in terms of where a student is at. And I can tell you for certain uh, that if I have one student at 78%, another student at 89, 89% of the course, the student at 89% is doing better than the student at 78%. Uh, it's, uh, and they both have a target that they can shoot for. Now we want to uh, go higher. That's the beauty of percents. It, p- parents understand them, kids understand them, and uh, teachers uh, can easily calculate them. But we're told, and and this is where I'm going to get you into the whole question now of this assessment, where people's feelings are hurt. You know, what about the kid at 49 percent? You know, are you are you hurting their feelings and hence then preventing them from deriving a benefit of education? You know, the way that I look at it is that uh, you are hurting their feelings and their life when you give them a mark higher than what they've actually earned. Because at some point in their life, and maybe it's only going to happen when they reach post-secondary education or the workforce, at some point they're going to discover that they're missing certain skills that they need to have. And then they're going to feel really bad because they haven't achieved. Uh, obviously, teachers need to be compassionate. We take circumstances into account. I certainly do. Yeah. See, I've never met a teacher who didn't you know, look at a mark and say, well, you're 49 you know, you're half the kid of, you know, the 90-something. No, I mean, teachers are very, probably the best people to read the individual nature of the way a kid learns. Absolutely. And uh, different kids uh, uh, will will accept marks in different ways. And uh, I try to be as honest as I can with marks. And uh, uh, if a student is not doing well, they often know that. And we're not fooling anyone uh, by pretending that they're doing well if they're not. We need to be honest and straightforward and do whatever we can to help them learn what they need to learn. But you're in the epicenter when you're in Saskatchewan of, of big school divisions here that on this assessment model, for example, uh, you know, no zeros, um, no percentages. Uh, the big one is, of course, and I need you to speak to this, this idea that, again, like so much of assessment sounds reasonable, but the outcome gets so silly, we should always divorce behavior from learning outcomes. Now, that sounds right. It does sound right, because in principle, in general terms, that makes sense. Uh, It is appropriate to say that for the most part, a mark on the report card and, frankly, a mark on an assignment should reflect the student's actual achievement on on those particular outcomes, that particular assignment in that course. And so a teacher shouldn't be standing in front of the class and saying, if you talk once more, I'm going to take five marks off your assignment. That's not the appropriate way to deal with it. The problem is, is when that's taken to an extreme, when we say that you can never allow behavior to influence academic achievement. And that's where we get things like no zero policies, because not handing an assignment in is a behavior. Or no deducting marks for late assignments, because, well, that's a behavior, so we can't take any marks off. Or cheating. Or cheating, or plagiarism, because, again, we can't take any marks off for plagiarism, because that's a behavior. And that's where we run into the problems, where it's taken to this absurd extreme. So what's the way around on that example Um, because I know here, I know Saskatoon Regina schools uh, will not address that boundary or that that gap between behavior and, and assessed outcomes. 
How do you start to narrow that? It's actually very simple. You allow teachers professional discretion. Uh, teachers have gone to university for many years. They know what they're doing. So you set out a general principle and you say, as much as possible, let's try to separate behavior from academics in terms of the grade. But you don't make that an absolute rigid rule. You allow for the fact that there are going to be certain cases where behavior will impact portions of a mark. Classic case in point, if an assignment is late, a teacher should have every right to say that, for example, for every day late that assignment is uh, we're going to take five percent off because handing in an assignment on time is an important component of doing the work itself and so there are certain types of behaviors that are just so important that we need to make sure uh, that we don't overlook them. Michael Zweigstra is here and zeros? I think that if a student doesn't hand an assignment in, uh, if a teacher has made every effort to get it and still hasn't, then yes, a zero in some cases is an appropriate mark because they didn't do the work. Uh, you, if you don't show up to your job, you don't get paid. Uh, if, you, uh, uh, if you're at any workplace and you do half of the things you're assigned to do, you're not going to be evaluated only on the half of the things that you decided to do. You're going to be evaluated based on the fact that you didn't do half the things you were supposed to. And it should be the same thing in the classroom. If the teacher is given 10 assignments that are being graded, then, then your mark should consist of the total of those 10. And if you chose not to do half of them, then that should have a pretty big impact on your mark. Michael Swagstra, author of What's Wrong With Our Schools and How We Can Fix Them. Uh, he's in the province speaking at the National Congress on Rural Education. And the workshop he's doing is called Cutting Through the Edge of Babel, How to Bring Common Sense Back to Assessment. We're going to talk more about the way your kids are assessed in school and class by class. Want to join the conversation? It's 1-877-332-8255. And from standardized testing to the future of education. In fact, another education fad, the flipped classroom. We'll learn more about that next. I'm John Gormley. This is Newstalk Radio. I'm John Gormley. Michael Swagstra is here. A Manitoba high school teacher near Steinbeck, Manitoba. And a guy we've had on this radio many times over the years, usually on the phone. In fact, I tease him. It's always quickly between class breaks. Well, it is his midterm break this week. He's on the speaking circuit, and he's addressing the National Congress on Rural Education, which is underway in Saskatoon. And the subject of his talk is cutting through the edu-babble, how to bring common sense back to assessment. So we are talking about a number of these assessment tools here. 1-877-332-8255. And to the guy who said, I agree with him, this guy's bang on, he needs to run for public office. You are the deputy mayor of Steinbeck. I am, yes. So I, okay. I do that on a part-time basis. <laughs> okay, you did run for public office. And now, <laughs> interestingly enough as well, at, um, at John Gormley Live on Twitter, Mark says... I will spend 11 hours of class time doing standardized tests this year. Wouldn't it be better spent teaching? Well, it's a common argument, and uh, uh, but the reality is if you do standardized testing properly, it shouldn't take that much time at all because uh, in most cases, in a subject, you would write a standardized test would take you uh, an hour or two, and so you lose a morning uh, for, that, uh, for that course. And then the rest of the time, you spend teaching. And if you've, again, if you've taught the curriculum, you, there is nothing, you have nothing to fear from a standardized test because a good standardized test is correlated to the curriculum. So just addressing one of the, co the other arguments, or you're just going to teach the test, if the test is properly designed and if the curriculum is properly designed, then teaching to the test simply means teaching to the curriculum. And you're using the vast majority of your class time for teaching, and then you have a quick assessment at the end. Seems fair to me. As we headed into the bottom of the hour, I promised I was going to ask you next about 
what is a flipped classroom? And you laughed when I said that. Uh, what is this? Uh, it's one of those uh, new education fads that's uh, caught in, in some areas. And basically the concept is, is that uh, in a normal classroom, uh, the teacher uh, will give a lesson and then give students some time to work on the assignment. And then usually whatever they don't finish in class, they finish at work as homework. A uh, flipped classroom literally flips that around. Uh, and so the teacher will often record a series of video lessons uh, or get them students to watch pre-recorded video lessons that someone else has made and say to the students, you watch these lessons on your own time at home. And then now the class time is for working on the homework assignment. And so now the teacher doesn't have to quote unquote waste time giving the lesson during class. And uh, it's just, again, one of those facts ads that uh, that really doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about it. That's madness. I mean, what teacher, in terms of, again, the teachers that I've always known, wouldn't want to be up in front of their class as the master of their class? Oh, John, you're, you're violating one of the sacred mantras of faculties of education. You're not supposed to be a sage on the stage. You're supposed to be a guide on the side. You're supposed to be a facilitator of learning and letting students develop their own ways of understanding, and you're just supposed to be the architect of learning. And these are these are the phrases that are just used again and again. And uh, uh, So I, my kids watch a podcast at home that I or someone else did, and then what? I sit like a bump in the log in the classroom while they all sit there quietly and do their homework? Well, well in, like, in theory, what the teacher is supposed to do that is they're supposed to be engaged with the students and helping them one-on-one, and uh, uh, that's the, how the theory is supposed to work. And that's called the flipped classroom, coming yes. soon to a school near you. <laughs> Hopefully not, but it's uh, it's more popular than a lot of people realize. It is uh, it is popular in some areas. Michael Zweigstra is here. Julie in Martinsville, one 332 8255 is where you find us. Julie, uh, what are your thoughts on this whole question, the way we assess kids? I am so frustrated with it. <laughs> like, my kids bring home their report cards, and all there is an M on there. An M? That, an M for meeting expectations. Oh, boy. And it tells me nothing. Do you have any idea how well they've met them, or how much <laughs> gap there might be between meeting them and doing better? Or? No. No, it's an M for meeting expectations, or they get an AP for approaching the expectation, I guess. So AP would be Appro- on the way to an M? Yes. <laughs> yes, I know. And as a parent, I'm frustrated. What school division are we nothing. talking about? What school division are we talking about here? Prairie Spirit. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Prairie and, Spirit School Division. And right. my kids are frustrated because they do well in school. And they do not have the reward of seeing, like, 90% that they get on assignments or tests or anything. And it frustrates me like crazy. Well, Julie, I certainly uh, I hear where you're coming from, and I totally agree with your concern. And uh, uh, the type of uh, marks that you're seeing on your kids' report cards, I, I call it the alphabet soup uh, grading model, where basically you're getting these incoherent letters that uh, uh, that have to be interpreted and explained to parents, but you're not getting the information you need. You're seeing yeah. a list of M's doesn't really tell you anything. It doesn't tell you how you can help your kid improve, uh, and uh, uh, you have fewer benchmarks, and so there's just simply less room for improvement, and uh, it's unfortunate. Yep. Like my husband says, you know, they could be getting five rainbows and two unicorns on the report card, and it means the same thing. Like, it doesn't tell me anything. Yeah, and if only there was an A, and then maybe there was a B, and then maybe even a C, you know, that you could work with. But when AP is less than M, yeah. and now is there anything that exceeds an M? Um, I believe there once was, but um, they took that off. Maybe it was an RM, really meeting expectations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, some school divisions will have, will have exceeding expectations, but then they don't want to give those because if you are exceeding your grade level, then you wouldn't be in that grade, and as, as the argument sometimes goes. And so it really, it's convoluted. It, it, it's tough for parents to understand it. It's frustrating.
talking about the way we assess kids. Ella in Saskatoon, you're on with uh, author Michael and uh, high school teacher Michael Zagstra. I just been, caught the end of your program here, but I want you to know that I was a teacher, vice principal, and principal in Saskatoon. And at one time, I, when I was a teacher, I gave percentages. I also gave class average so that the parent would know about where their student was in class. And I believe in percentages. I also, another problem that I saw when I was teaching in, when I was a principal in Saskatoon, we were told never to hold children back in school, that this would damage them forever. And when I saw little children in kindergarten and grade one that were floundering, I ignored that and talked to parents. And when parents were upset about it, I used an analogy. I would say to parents, if you sent your child to swimming lessons and the swimming instructor said, I'm sorry, your child will have to take this swimming lesson over again because the next level is the deep end, would you be saying to that swimming instructor, I don't care. I want my child in the deep end. Put that way, Ella, that's actually a very good comparison, isn't it? Well, that it, it certainly is. And, and like, sometimes, yes, on the first day of school, there, there was a, a little, you know, bit of uh, my friends are all going on. But once the children got a hold of the, the learning and were able to keep up with their classmates, they were happy. Well, well, I certainly uh, appreciate your call, and, and, and the perspective you're coming from is one of experience, and this is why a lot of teachers, particularly often when uh, when you're retired and you've had many years in the classroom and you know what works and doesn't work, and uh, I certainly I, I agree with the, uh, with, the, with the concerns that you're raising, and uh, it certainly makes sense to use percentages. It also makes sense to make sure that students meet a certain level going on, before going on to the next level, and I, I really like the, the swimming lesson analogy. I think I'll make use of that. You know, you can just steal it and call it research. I do all the time. <laughs> it's not plagiarism if you steal enough. Um, okay, sorry, broad enough. Um, interesting on this point, though, um, the so-called social promotion. And I and I should ask you to almost stratify it. To me, the no student ever gets held back was sort of the beginning. Then we moved into the relationship between conduct and learning. Then we moved into now getting away with anything that resembles a hierarchical grading. Is that sort of the way it's been in terms of the history, or does it really matter? It seems all now to be part of the way we assess kids. Well, it's it certainly, uh, there, there is connection between these ideas. I mean, they, they do, some of them do have some, uh, some differences. But uh, when you look at it, what, uh, the social promotion is, uh, uh, to put it simply, is the, is the idea that kids should be moved on to the next, la- uh, the next grade level, uh, even if they haven't mastered the academic content. And that's certainly, uh, it, it's not usually an official written policy, uh, but it's certainly a de facto one in most cases where it's extremely rare for a student to be, to be held back. And uh, what we see is we see some, uh, uh, we see even at the high school end uh, where it becomes increasingly difficult for students to fail a class. I mean, if you can't get a zero uh, for not handing work in, uh, and if you can't uh, be, have marks taken away for, for late assignments, uh, it's not hard to see why in some cases you'd suddenly have a higher percentage of students uh, finishing, in quotation marks, a high school course. Michael Zwagstra is here. He is a research fellow with the Frontier Center for Public Policy. He's a high school teacher near Steinbeck, Manitoba. And when we get back, he is a busy guy. Lines are busy, and every one of you will be on with Michael Zwagstra next here on News Talk Radio.
I'm John Gormley. Okay, my friends, we're going to crash the phones, and that means really fast. So get to your point. Agree with Michael Swagstra. Disagree with him. Join the conversation. Let's get you on the radio now at one 332 8255 Tyrone, what do you think of what you're hearing? I guess I would disagree in the sense that I'm a, I'm a product of the Manitoba school system, and I didn't get necessarily high percentages, but I learned the material. Whereas my wife, for instance, got the top grades and scholarships, but when we have conversations, she doesn't remember what she learned. So the, the percentage doesn't necessarily equate to learning. And I guess that's my question. What's more important, that me as a parent feel good about my kid because they got a high percentage, or do I know that they've met the expectations for that grade level? Well, uh, my quick response to that is that uh, there's always going to be exceptions to every rule. But as a general rule of thumb, uh, if you have percentage grades and the teacher is marking appropriately, uh, a student with a higher percent, in most cases, has learned more than a student with a lower percent. Yes, there's going to be exceptions, but uh, I'm willing to bet that if you have two students, one with 95, the other with 55 in chemistry, I'm pretty sure the student in most cases with 95% probably learned more chemistry in most cases. Destiny and Regina, what do you think of what you're hearing, ma'am? Uh, you know, this is a huge part of why I quit teaching. Okay, so yeah, you... It's simple. Um, it's garbage. It's, it's absolute garbage to sit there and say, oh, well, little Johnny had a hockey tournament all weekend, so he's not going to turn in that assignment that you assigned four weeks ago and gave eight hours of class time to. But don't take any marks off, because it's not little Johnny's fault. Give me a break. Little Johnny needs to learn some responsibility and suck it up. So th- that actually got you away from teaching, this kind of this emphasis? It's ridiculous. Between that and parents who are helicopter parents and only fly in when little Johnny's got a 50 in math on the 1st of June, even though they ignored every phone call and every email and every message you sent, it's, it's ridiculous and it's not worth it. In fact, when people come to me and say, hey, I'm thinking about becoming a teacher, I say don't. Well, I, I, I certainly uh, I agree with many of the concerns that are raised. Uh, I would still encourage people to become teachers because I think it's important to uh, to have good teachers in the classroom. Uh, obviously, there are cases where uh, uh, where some parents uh, will uh, will pay more attention to how their kids are doing than others, and it's always a problem if parents aren't fully engaged. And one of the challenges of these new assessment models is it makes many parents less engaged and uh, and less informed, and that's unfortunate. Well, okay, so you were saying that actually school administrators know this. They know parents are looking for percentages, so well, they're not going to give it to you why not? Well, because in many cases, uh, is the, the, I, they know that parents are looking for a percent and that if they see, here's how my kid is doing, they want the snapshot, they may not read all the rest of the verbiage on the report card because they're going to read what they can understand. So you take the percentage off and now it forces them to, uh, uh, parents to wade through the verbiage and be re-educated in the new assessment methodology. Barry in Saskatoon, what do you think of what you're hearing, sir? Um, I think the percentages are not valid, in spite of uh, your guess position. It is. If we, uh, I've seen a lot of students that um, would have, let's say, an eight, I taught biology for 30 plus years, 85 percent from another teacher, and maybe an 80 from mine. That five percent would would prevent them from getting into a program at university, and yet because it wasn't taught maybe as well or as thoroughly, um, they my student wouldn't get in. And I've seen that many many times. You know the answer. 
entrance exams, SATs, then you know what it is rather than standardized testing. If you're going to do standardized testing, that might be fine, but it should be maybe for the, the core 60%. Um, there are kids that you'll have in some classes that want to go on, find out about all the new stuff that's happening in science. Uh, there are kids you'll have in classes that need a lot more time on the core, and every kid's different, and so <laughs> I think the percentages don't mean a thing. Ironically, Barry actually, I think he, I think uh, makes actually a, a number of good points. And uh, the reality is, is that uh, if you don't have any standardized testing or entrance exams at universities, uh, there is a level of subjectivity that's unacceptable, where there's just too much of a variation from teacher to teacher because one teacher can grade quite differently than another. The the solution is you have standardized testing, you can even incorporate entrance exams, and you also have the teacher created assessment, which you would still keep on percentages. And so you combine those together, then you have a better picture of where students. Charlie in Saskatoon, you're on with Michael Zwagstra. Yeah, okay. I'm ex-military, and uh, he mentioned that the, they might be looking at a teacher if the marks were very, very low. Um, this is standard uh, throughout the military. If uh, guys aren't learning, um, they're going to look at the instructor. It's, it's just, you know, because these, these people have to learn this stuff. Okay, so your, your, your point is that if teachers don't do well then, Charlie, or teacher, kids don't do well, that should assess a, a teacher. Well, there's no reason why they can't assess a teacher. I mean, it's a, it's a learning process to, uh, to learn to teach. Michael, do you, do you agree on that? I, I think there's a, there, there's a good point with that. I think there's a number of things that need to be factored into teacher evaluation, but obviously uh, student lear learning is one of those things that's extremely important. And if a teacher is in front of his or her students every year and they're not learning anything, then you've got a serious problem, and that teacher probably should be changing what he or she is doing. Now, your book uh, in 2010, What's Wrong with Our Schools and How to Fix Them, uh, you're writing with the uh, Frontier Center uh, for Public Policy. A lot of your papers we can get at fcpp.org. That's right. At fcpp.org, uh, the Frontier Center publishes uh, a lot of uh, my, uh, my education work. Well, it's been great having you by. I knew the hour would fly, and uh, nice to finally get you in studio. Uh, don't be a stranger. Come back sometime soon. Absolutely. I've enjoyed it very much, John. Thank you. Michael Zwagstra, high school teacher near Steinbach, Manitoba, and yes, deputy mayor of Steinbach when he isn't teaching high school and writing on issues of education. I'm John Gormley, the latest from the 24-Hour News Center now, here on News Talk Radio.